You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Well, first and foremost, thank you very much to Mr. JJ for once again filling in um, for me. I'm going to try not to make that too big of a habit, and if I do make it a habit, I'm going to try to get out of the habit of telling JJ at like 9 o'clock at night, like, hey, dude, you want to do the podcast for me? But it's never on purpose. It's like 8.30, it's already to that point where it's like, we gotta get the kids to bed so I can record this podcast. My wife's like, oh, there's some boxes, some moving boxes. Because she's really worried we're going to run out of the massive stores of boxes that we have. So, free boxes, I mean, granted, you gotta take advantage of it, but she had to run out and load it, and I had to watch the kids, and it was very spontaneous, very out of nowhere. Just, hey, I, I gotta go get boxes. Like, okay. So I, there's no, I just, there's no way. So anyways, I appreciate JJ for jumping in very, very last minute. It's not easy to do. I'm not saying he hasn't, doesn't have a lot of stuff already planned out or whatever, but I've woken up and um, not had a ton to work with and tried to do a podcast. It's not easy, especially when you do it every day. And it's, it's like, you know, every, every Packer fan has like thoughts. And that's why I started, I actually started off wanting to blog and then it turned into a podcast, whatever, but the reason is I've got all these thoughts of like, not just opinions, but, you know, perspectives that I find interesting. And I figured that that would be interesting and people want to hear it. And it's true. But if you have one of those thoughts like every month, <laughs> it's, it's hard to fill 30 days in a month. And so when you've depleted a lot of your ideas and then all of a sudden you don't have something on your plate, it gets to be a little, a little tricky. So just, just a hat tip because that is not easy to do. Anyways, also want to apologize for the technical issues. I know a lot of you guys were having issues loading the podcast. JJ had mentioned that he's been having that issue loading uh, the Packernet podcast for some time. Uh, I am reaching out to the hosting company. They were actually just bought out by Spotify, so I don't know if there's any kind of weird thing going on. But obviously needed to get that fixed because at some point you just stop listening, right? I've, I've had that happen with other podcasts where it's like, all right, this is stupid. And then listen to one of the other 500 billion Packers podcasts. And I can't let that happen. So, going to try to get that all horked out. Anyways, what is on the docket for today? That's a great question. Let me pull up my notes because I forgot. I mean, I do, I remember one thing, but I, I, I like to save the good stuff for last. But let's just, let's just get there. So, um, what's his name? Tyler Dunn. He's got his website. I mentioned that I had subscribed to his website because he's got some neat stuff on there, I guess. But one of the things he did, and I, I kind of briefly touched on it. He did an article mostly focused on Aaron Rodgers, and I mostly focused on that part of the article with Aaron Rodgers, and I kind of briefly touched on the Jordan Love stuff because it's kind of cool, right? It's not what we're talking about, but it's cool stuff. Well, he did a sit-down with that quarterback coach and did a little Q&A. I was hoping to be on that Q&A, but as usually happens, I got home, just completely forgot about it. I don't need to explain to you how that's a common occurrence with me. It's just a thing. 
I think what I need is like a calendar that syncs with like a uh, a collar that zaps you. Could try that out. But anyways, they allowed the uh, the subscribers to the show to tune into the Zoom thing and ask Jordan Love's quarterback coach some questions about Jordan Love. And so I listened to it. It was about an hour long. I would say most of it is sort of either, I don't know, I don't want to say boring, but kind of vanilla type stuff. But there were a couple nuggets in there that I really liked, and I want to um, go over that with you. Now, disclaimer, this is not because Jordan Love is taking over the job. I'm not saying anything like that. Jordan Love is a Green Bay Packer. He is a human being that wears the green and gold, and as such, I'm going to root for him, and we want him to be awesome. Now, wanting him to, to be awesome doesn't mean we want him to take the job from Rodgers. I know I, I fully understand 99.9% of you don't need to be lectured like this. Just for the couple of you that are really mad at me right now, I'm just, I'm just explaining that to you. Apparently, I'm also very condescending, so I <laughs> have to be careful how I explain things to people. There's a lot of tiptoeing these days. I've been lectured a lot recently about the way I do things. But again, it's, it's very cool information, and that, that kind of is a little bit of a segue. We're going to leave that aside because I want to do that later. But it is a little bit of a segue because I want to talk about... Um, TJ Slayton. I know that's incredibly random, but the point is it's exciting to get excited about our guys. It's always exciting to get excited about the guys that we have. It's also fair to be realistic. Now, wherever you fall on that spectrum, I don't really have a problem with it. And I think we got to have, we got to leave space for both of these things because unless you're just being a complete jerk or wildly, you know, on one end of the spectrum being a jerk and just rooting against everybody just because, on the other end of the spectrum, you think everybody's elite, despite the fact that they're they're really just not that good. But at this stage, if your assessment of TJ Slayton is this guy's going to be a stud or I don't expect much, I think they're both fair. I think one is probably more realistic than the other, but they're both fair. But I, I, I did get a question. Came in from Scott from the Facebook group. He said, Matt Schneidman's uh, latest from The Athletic rated the squad. For defensive line, he wrote, defensive line, five. Kenny Clark, Kingsley Kiki, Dean Lowry, TJ Slayton, Tyler Lancaster. Unless Slayton is the second coming of Clark in 2021, there's no reason to expect anything more from this group than the mediocrity it has turned in the past two seasons. It seems the Packers are going to keep running it back with Lowry and Lancaster as rotational pieces with the hope that Kiki makes a jump, which is a reasonable expectation after his four four sacks last season. I'm not entirely sure if that was sarcasm. I don't think it was, but it felt very sarcastic because... I mean, he didn't do all that great last year, I don't think. He says, what are your thoughts on this? So I had somebody else reach out. Let me find it really quickly here. Because again, this is the other end of the spectrum, and I really don't have a problem with either end of the spectrum, but they are completely opposite. This was a Twitter message I got from uh, Douglas Chapin. Chapin. Sorry if I'm kind of busting you out on Twitter as it's a private message, but I mean, if you message me, there's a chance I'm going to talk about it. But he says, uh, we've all been a little bit grumpy with the Rodgers stuff, but Larry the Rock McCarron gets me fired up. Leave out a couple of the colorful words. (laughs) He's super fired up. Um, His video on TJ Slayton makes me want to run through a wall. He goes on to say, Slayton is the kind of guy we need. Tired of, um, not sure what that word's supposed to be, but tired of the, the crappy defensive line play. So, first of all, Again, I, I think it's awesome to get excited about guys. It's awesome to break down film and see how awesome guys are. And Larry McCarron will do that for everybody. And I think he does a good job, and Larry's just a good dude. He's the kind of guy that every single person on earth likes. He's the kind of guy that if anybody says they don't like Larry McCarron, the whole room's going to turn on that guy. Because how dare you, right? With that said, 
Larry McCarron, although completely honest, I'm not saying he's lying at all, but he is the, the, just to be honest, and I'm putting myself in a bad position here, he is the definition of a homer. And maybe that's a bit unfair, but it's, it's the best way to paint a picture that, that you understand completely. And I think you know what I mean by that. Again, he's not being on, uh, dishonest. He's just, he only highlights the positives, and that's what he's supposed to do. He gets people jacked up about the Packers. He's a Packer fan that loves the Packers, and he admires, ta- and let's be honest, I mean, he's one of those guys where, you know how sometimes you critique a player, and somebody comes out with the line, like, well, let's see you do that, and like, eh, okay. That's kind of like Larry, right? All these guys are best of the best of the best, even guys that are kind of terrible and are never going to play. Those guys are in the top 1% of the 1% of football players. So Larry just looks at what they do and says, this guy's a freak. Now, again, it's it's similar to when you go and watch college film on a college prospect. If you want to get excited about, about a guy, you watch highlights. If you want to study a guy, you watch the game film, you watch All-22, whatever the case may be. The point is you want to see the negative also. If you just want to get excited, go listen to Larry McCarron talk about a guy and break him down because he's not going to give you the negatives. So I'm completely fine with just getting excited about the new guys, and I do like TJ Slayton. However, same thing when people ask me about Jordan Love. How do you think he's going to be? Listen, I love Jordan Love, more so than Slayton and a lot of other guys, because I watched him and my jaw hit the floor, right? I didn't really get that with, um, well, let's, let's just say with a lot of the other guys. But I still look at it and say, I don't know that the odds are super great. Now let's look at what the Packers have done at defensive line, and I think... When you, granted, it's just from a pessimistic standpoint, and there's no real genuine analysis of TJ Slayton here by Scott, but at the same time, it, it does make a lot of sense. The Packers have taken mid-round swings at defensive linemen basically every year and have gotten no production out of it. Is that, is that a fair statement? When was the last time we got a good mid-to-late-round prospect along the defensive line? What, Mike Daniels? So I'm glad he's here. But I think if, if we're going to kind of try to move past the rah-rah stage and move into the what is the the realistic expectation of Slayton along that defensive line and his ability to really up that entire defensive line and be the next Mike Daniels or or like a, a Kenny Clark light that's going to really elevate things, I think it's pretty low. And, and again, please remember, this is not analysis. This is not me saying I watched him and I don't think he's got what it takes. This is just saying... Again, we how many times? And every year we get excited, and every year nothing happens. Kingsley Kiki was going to be a big one. Now, maybe he still takes a step. It's possible, and I want to talk a little bit about Kingsley also. But he's a guy that every year we say this is the year, and nothing happens. Montravius was supposed to be a real big addition. He was a third-round pick. And then the next year, I was like, well, this is his breakout year. And the year after that, well, this is his breakout year. And it's like, this is just not working. You know, James Looney, he was a seventh-round guy, but still. I mean, it's a guy that just didn't pan out. Dean Lowry, I mean, to be honest, he's the same kind of guy. He's a fill-in guy that's adequate, but he's not at that next level. You know, he's similar to a lot of these offensive linemen where it's they're there and you're okay with them being there, but you know that if you're really going to get to that next level, you got to upgrade that position. You know, maybe, you know, again, I don't want to pick on guys that are that are good football players, but, you know, maybe somebody like uh, Elaine Taylor who is a really, really high-end backup, but I don't really know that he's exactly what you... In other words, when he's there, it's not like we're set. It's fine, but we're not set. You could say that with Billy Turner, to be honest, even though I think the Packers feel like they're set, which annoys me. But Billy Turner's another guy where it's like, it's fine, we need better, though. Lucas Patrick, it's it's adequate as a, as a fill-in, 
we need better. Dean Lowry has always just been an adequate guy that can do the job, but we really do, if we're going to, you know, if we're going to really upgrade this, if we're actually going to get some help, if we're actually going to be able to get a guy that's consistently good in either or of, of the facets as far as run defense or pass rush, we got to upgrade this. Dean Lowry was a fourth-round pick. It's, it's fine. And again, listen, he's a fourth-round pick, so you don't expect that much. But since Dean Lowry, what have we do? That was in 2016. What do we do in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020? Not a whole lot. And I understand there's only so many things that you can do. I've said before, that's the problem with the draft. There's only so many picks that you can make. And if we're saying the first, second, third round are the most important rounds as far as finding quality talent, we haven't done a ton outside of Montrevious Adams, which was just a terrible pick. So I really do hope that we can get some, some mid-round magic. And I don't really necessarily doubt it. It's, out, it's, it's, just, it's hard to hit. And if we leave out the seventh round as being kind of give me a break, then, then the two real big misses, I guess, since Dean, as far as trying to upgrade that position, were um, Montrevious, which was one of the worst draft classes. I mean, Kevin King, Josh J- Jones, Montrevious, Vince Beagle, Jamal Williams, D'Angelo Yancey, Aaron Jones, Kofi Amicia, Devontae Mays, Malachi Dupree. I mean, it was Jamal and Aaron Jones, and that was it. I mean, there's Kevin King, but, you know. Let's be honest, we, 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 our first-round pick was our first-round pick with the sole purpose of replacing him. And so we've got, basically, Gutekunst has taken one swing, and that was a fifth-round pick in Kingsley Kiki. And we haven't entirely given up hope on him. So I think he deserves a fair shake. I understand the pessimism, especially when a lot of people are in that mode of, I'm just super excited right now. But you got to understand, that's just what people want to do right now. They want to get excited. You can't let that bother you to the point of saying, I'm, I'm tired of people hearing this. I think it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But that's what people do. We get, we, we get ridiculous. The draft just happened. Now is the time when everybody's like, dude, that guy's a freak. That's just what we do. So yeah, if you're asking me, give me a percentage that this is a guy that's actually, you know, not just another Dean Lowry or another just rotational guy or just a complete miss. Uh, 20% since I've been on a kick of just random picking numbers lately. 20%. Now, remember, the, the, just by virtue of the kind of player that he is, he's a bigger nose tackle type. I think it raises the percentage chance that he is a contributor and a, contri- and a solid contributor in a specific role. So let's say we're going to take away the idea of this guy is just an all-around, freakish Kenny Clark Jr. And we're going to say that this is just a guy that comes in and he's a goal line guy, he's a third and two guy, he's not much of a pass rusher, but man, he is he is really up in our game and our ability to stop the run, which can be used in a lot of really great ways, right? Again, remember, if we're, well, we'll, we'll get back to that. Let's just say you're asking me specifically, what are the odds that this guy is just a really quality run defender? 45%, maybe 40, I mean, it, it goes up. Now, the exciting thing about that, and again, I don't know how they're going to use this defense, but let's just say that they actually do what I've been saying, which is we're going to kind of put the the um, the onus of the defense uh, of the the pressure or the weight of the defense on the defensive backs. Right? You guys are going to carry the burden because that's where our biggest strengths are. In other words, we're going to kind of put you on an island. You guys have to do your job up front. We're attacking. Right? We're not worried about using the defensive front to contain and to kind of drop back in coverage and do all this weird stuff. No, pin your ear, ears back and go get them. Now, that still leaves you somewhat vulnerable to the run. Because if you are a pass rusher and you're firing off your spot and trying to especially get around somebody to the outside, you're not doing a good job of containing the run. A big help 
is to have a two, let's say, two really good pass rushers on the edge. You got Kenny Clark, who is a good pass rusher, but also a really good run defender. And then you got a guy who is a double-teaming, run-stuffing monster. It gives you the flexibility with those other three, or possibly four, if you're bringing a linebacker, bringing an extra, extra blitzer from somewhere else. If you've got a guy that can really stuff up the middle of that defensive line by himself, because if, if, if the one way you can back off that pass rush is to say, we're just going to keep running the ball. But if I've got a brick wall along that defensive line, not saying he can do everything by himself, but that kind of helps eliminate that aspect. You're, you're deteriorating your ability to rush the passer a little bit by using him, but you're allowing the other guys to focus more on pass rush while he kind of just holds it down. Now, again, if, it's, if it is a pass, he needs to kind of try to move forward with it, but you're not having him just trying to shoot gaps, right? That's, that's not the point. And because you've got this good mix where, again, Kenny Clark, he's a nose tackle, but he's a little slimmer and he's a good pass rusher for that. And then again, you've got Rashawn and Preston and Zadarius who are obviously pass rushers as their primary thing, but these are not 245-pound speed bend guys. These are 270-pound monsters, so they can hold their own in the run game. Anyways, just, just thinking out loud. And to be honest, the fact that they've sort of emphasized that, and granted, I, I can't say that it's because of our new defensive coordinator, considering we started this with Snacks Harrison last year under Petten, but th- there has been movement in that direction, which we haven't really seen, right? You didn't have that with Kingsley Kiki. You didn't have that with Montrevious Adams, and, and similar to a lot of other things where Packer fans want something, want something, want something, and never get it, right? We want a wide receiver. We want a wide receiver. Give us, give us a wide receiver. Give, it, give us the jet sweep guy. And they'll maybe throw a couple crumbs, but nothing super serious. The other thing a lot of Packer fans want, just get that big old meaty nose tackle that's just going to stuff up things because the run defense isn't there. The last two big defensive players that they've, or defensive line players they brought in were Snacks Harrison and Tadaryl Slayton. I mean, our, our, I've been saying for a while, it's, it's really rare to have a nose tackle as small as Kenny Clark. We just generally don't get these big 330-pound nose tackles. And to Daryl Slayton, 6'5", 340. That's a big human being, man. He is a big man. Anyways, I also wanted to highlight Kingsley Kiki. This was uh, an interview that was done by Olivia Reiner of uh, Kingsley Kiki talking about a concussion that he had received. It's a weird way to phrase that, isn't it? I received a concussion yesterday. But anyways, he had uh, he kind of explained kind of what happened, and I thought it was a little bit interesting. So I want to play that quickly for you. It's like a minute long. Went back and watched some of the Titans. Can watch some of the Titans game because I was curious to find out which play you got hurt on. But you played it, I think, the very last defensive snap of the game. So yeah. when did you realize that something might be wrong after that game? I realized it like at the pretty much like beginning snaps. The first couple of snaps, that's when I knew something was wrong. I knew I wasn't right in my head. I was just out there just trying to, you know, keep going for my team. I thought I was fine, but then again, I knew I wasn't fine. (laughs) It's just that gentleman running. What were you doing to recover and try to stay up to speed, if you even can, while you were were rehabbing the concussion? Yeah, I was taking a lot of omega-3s and stuff to help my head. I was meditating. I mean, I was doing, trying to do everything I can to come back. But I guess if I would have said something earlier, I definitely would never come back and play in the playoffs and everything and play those games. Definitely missed some snaps. That 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 stuff hurt. I mean, I was in a dark spot with all that. But now I know if I if I ever have a any spurt with my head like that again, I'm definitely gonna speak up a lot faster. When do you think you got back to a hundred percent? I'll probably say like in beginning of March. 
Yeah, I was rough, man. So for the full context, for people that don't know what's going on, and, I, and I'm still a little fuzzy on it, but I'm piecing it together based on what I'm hearing there. Um, apparently, he had taken a hit in that Titans game and um, essentially got a concussion and decided to keep playing, but he was very, very off. He was saying that you could tell in the beginning snaps that something just was not right. If I look at his uh, stats and grades here, it's kind of interesting. He didn't play weeks 17 or 18. And his worst game of the year was against Tennessee. In fact, it was by a lot. Um, He had really just two kind of bad games against Minnesota and against Indy. Those games were in the high 40s. This game against Tennessee, which is the last game he played, was a 28. It was actually one of the few games where he didn't have any pressures at all. Um, And beyond that, it it was mostly his run defense that was the biggest issue in that game. I think one of the exciting and interesting things about that, you know, because... Sometimes I just, I, I, when I'm not immersed in it, and again, I, I, I've explained this before, I know people's, people's brains work differently. When I'm immersed in something, I, I really, I think I do a decent job of kind of understanding or seeing what's going on. But as soon as I walk away from it, I just memory dump everything. So I feel like I'm seeing the Kingsley Kiki stuff for the first time. Kingsley had a decent year, and he wasn't playing a ton, so maybe we just didn't really see it. And he only had four sacks, so... And again, I, I maybe that wasn't sarcasm because whatever. But, um, you know, 22 pressures on 257 attempts isn't great because it's not quite 10%. But the interesting thing is if we get rid of week 16 and look at weeks 1 through 15, and I just look at all defensive tackles, Kingsley Kiki was actually our highest graded defensive tackle on the team. He was the 25th highest graded tackle in the NFL with a 75.2 overall grade. 28th highest graded pass rushing defensive tackle in the NFL, and that is out of 139. And again, generally, I don't like saying let's cut this week off or that week off, but I'm cutting off the game in which he never should have played because he was injured. So yeah, he he didn't have a bunch of sacks. He didn't really even do all that great as far as his his pass rush ability, but he was pretty much well-rounded across the board. The interesting thing about it um, especially for Kingsley, and I'm assuming this has been a, a, an emphasis because I remember I talked about this before. At 6'3", 288, your first instinct for Kingsley Kiki is this is a guy that's probably going to struggle to stop the run but should be able to provide some pass rush. At Texas A&M, he was a terrible pass rusher. He was very good against the run. Year one in Green Bay, he had a 70 run defense grade and a 53 pass rush grade. That flipped in 2020 with a 57 run defense grade, 35 tackling, which is obviously probably a big part of the reason the run defense grade is so low. That's pretty bad. A lot of missed tackles. But his pass rush went from a 53 to a 71. I don't know if he ever had a 71 in college. So whatever these coaches are teaching him, it's having an impact. And again, it's not overly impressive four sacks and 22 pressures and all that, but he's headed in the right direction. Overall, he went from a 65 to a 69. And remember, this is with a 57 run defense grade, which is to say this is probably the first year in the pros or in college that he had a bad year as a run defender. This is what he does well. So if he can just maintain that level of pass rush and then get back to being a fairly good run defender, this is a very quality defensive tackle. And again, I don't think I'm being pie in the sky. I'm looking at this, and I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to write off Kingsley Kiki, but it kind of just feels like, all right, it's been two years. He hasn't had like that breakout thing yet. He's a fifth-round guy, so, I mean, you, you got to temper your expectations to begin with. But, I mean, this is a good year. I mean, again, 25th. There's 32 teams in the NFL. This fifth-round pick by Gutekunst in uh, 2019 was the 25th best defensive tackle in football through those weeks. 
So if we're going to say, you know, there, there's so many times when fans will say, you know, he's about to break out, you know, MVS. Like, you guys you guys just give up on him too easy. Everybody else, he could still break out. Look at Devontae. That's fine, but we're not basing that on anything at all. He's done nothing but be kind of bad, at least on a year-to-year basis. He's had good games. He's had great plays. But on a, on a year-to-year basis, he's had, what, three years of being subpar. Jay Sternberger. Now, we don't have a huge sample size, but again, there's just nothing really, at least so far, to sink your teeth into. There's a difference between not writing a guy off and saying, I think he's about to break out based on nothing. Kingsley, though, we've got something to sink our teeth into. First of all, he's never been bad. 65 as a rookie, 69, which is progress and also a good year, is something to sink your teeth into, especially for a fifth-round pick when you should have really no expectations for that. So do I think he's the next coming of, you know, I don't even want to say Kenny Clark because he's been kind of rough the last couple of years. Do I think this is him, he's going to be some elite guy? No. Do I think he can be a quality starter for the Packers? I think he's almost there. I think we need more consistency, which is a problem with this entire team. Uh, you know, and, and again, there's reason to believe, I shouldn't even say that. We know he can do both. We know he's a good run defender from his rookie year and from all of his college, and he proved that he can learn to be a pass rusher based on his grades in 2020. If he can combine that, get back healthy, continue to learn, continue to grow, at the very least, he's got to be right there knocking on the door of taking that place from Dean Lowry. So all in all, I, you know, we, we've, we have to get better against the run. That's a reality. Do we have really bad players, though? I don't think so. I am of the mind that we have good players and had a really bad defensive coordinator based on the fact that these are good football players, right? We, we've seen really good defenses with less talent than what the Packers have. And a lot of people like to hang that on the, on the, on the GM and say he's doing a, a crap job and you need to bring in guys to fix this. But I don't think that's the case. How many defenses have Zadarius and Kenny and I don't know if you want to throw Rashawn in there. I would. You don't have to. And Jair, who is the number one corner in football. By the way, the best safety duo in football. Who has all that stuff? Very few teams have all of that. I don't know what we think, like, top ten teams are just stacked across the board. That's not a reality. It's just not. We have the pieces. We just got to figure out. We got to get a guy in there that knows how to utilize them, and we'll be okay. And we, we've got a good group along that defensive line. I think Kenny is the premier piece, and we have to get back to him being that premier piece. I don't know what Petten was doing. I'm really hoping that it was a Petten thing, similar to Blake leaving and going and being dominant. By the way, Blake was good before Petten showed up. You know, he obviously changed some stuff, and it just wasn't working for Kenny, and I'm really hoping if we can get Kenny back to being a top-five defensive tackle in the NFL, that automatically is going to massively boost what this team is doing. And so, you know, I... I don't. I, I have no idea what's going to happen with this defensive coordinator. It might be a mess. I don't know how much worse it could be than what Pettin was doing. But it really just needs to be getting guys in a position to succeed. That's it. And the DBs don't need to be touched. We got a guy that handles the DBs. He's doing a great job. I understand scheme is going to play into it, but they need to really be delicate with trying to change anything along that defensive back room because that thing is tuned in. I'm going to let Jerry Gray figure out what happens on the back end, and I'm, I, I don't care if you're the defensive coordinator. You get his approval before we do anything with those DBs. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, again, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm not like pie in the sky, this guy's going to be a freak, but I, I think it's a good group, and I think it's a good mix of talent. Just like the other good thing about this class is we didn't just get guys. We got those specific guys that it's like, man, that's that piece. You know, the, the big run defending defensive tackle to pair with guys like Kingsley, Kingsley, Kiki, and Dean Lowry, who are not good at those kinds of things. Again, Kingsley maybe, but again, 288, I don't know. 
We got Amari Rodgers, which is great that we got a wide receiver, but he's not just a wide receiver. He's that other kind of wide receiver that we need. He's the jet sweep slot guy, right? We got guys that we can put in the slot. We've got guys that can do jet sweeps. I mean, we've had Alan Lazard do it, but he's not built for that. I mean, we've got run-blocking wide receivers, which is fantastic. If you can do, you know, like a bunch set with three wide receivers and you got three corners out there basically by themselves, this is a perfect opportunity for a bubble screen. The point is, you need two guys that are really good blockers, which we have, but you need a guy that's basically a running back out there. Who's that guy? You know Lazard has to block. I mean, I guess Devontae, but usually Devontae is on the other end of the bunch. That's what draws the safety over. That gives us that bubble screen to work with. Who's the guy that's going get, to get the, the ball and make one guy miss and get nine yards? Tamari Rogers. So again, it's not just the players, it's the right kinds of players, and, and just having a real good mix of guys, I'm just, I'm pretty excited about it. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back and discuss a few of those other things. want to give a big thank you to Ramesh. Thank you very much for jumping in on the Patreons. If you want to jump in and support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join for as little as a dollar a month, and basically the, the biggest perk is you can listen to the podcast a day early. You also get it completely ad-free. And then if you're interested, you can also jump in the group Discord and kind of hang out over there. But uh, please consider that, and thank you very much to everybody who is already involved. We are still doing the giveaway. Um, again, we're, we've kind of slowed down quite a bit, but I'm hoping we can kind of pick that back up. If we can get to 300 patrons by the start, by week one, and I'll even wait until the end of the game, we'll be doing a pretty big giveaway. we got three different things, and we'll let you pick whatever that is. But anyways, we got to take a break so we can kind of move on. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So it was actually kind of funny. I saw one of these dumb things on Twitter, um, but it says, the song that was number one on your seventh birthday defines 2021 for you. And I looked it up, November of, what would that be, 93 or something, um, what was like the number one song. It was Meatloaf's I Do Anything for Love. And it didn't immediately dawn on me the implications of that. It's like, that's weird. I'm, I'm married. I think I'm good. And then based on a couple different comments, it dawned on me. Love is the name of a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> There's already a lot of people 
that think that I want Rodgers gone and I want Jordan Love to be the next. I mean, this just really, really kind of solidifies at least what a lot of people are already suspecting about me. I would do anything for love. <laughs> Pretty funny, man. Pretty funny. All right. Speaking of Jordan Love, as I mentioned, there are a uh, couple little tidbits from this Q&A with um, Steve Calhoun, who is a quarterback guru that has been has worked with a lot of different quarterbacks. I mean, lots and lots and lots of them. Jordan Love is one of them. It's funny because they somebody had just randomly brought up Deshaun Kaiser, and he's like, oh, yeah, I worked with him too. So I, I did take a couple notes, and I didn't take a timestamp for the first one, so I'm just going to kind of go through a couple of my thoughts. But something that was real interesting that was brought up, and it's, it's kind of common sense, but it didn't fully click in my brain. And it, it makes sense not just for Jordan Love, but also this current situation we've been talking about with Blake Bortles, et cetera, et cetera. When I talk about QB2 and QB3 and, you know, QB3 being, you know, a... Uh, it, it, it seems like we forget that there's a distinction beyond, I mean, look, there's a DT1, DT2, and DT3, and so what? It's just based on how good you are. That's not really the case with quarterback. Again, QB1 is the guy that plays on Sunday. He doesn't come off the field unless the defense or the special teams is on the field. He's out there for every offensive play, right? QB2 is the guy that's ready to go when QB1 gets hurt or we won the game and you need to go take a knee, or we're getting blown out, we're going to pull the quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that guy. QB3 technically is the guy that's going to go out there if QB2 gets hurt, but in reality, what is his day-to-day job? Yes, he does study the current offense and all that kind of stuff, but in terms of reps, what is he doing? He's not running the Green Bay offense. He's never running the Green Bay offense. He's running the scout team offense to help prepare the defense. What is the scout team offense? If the Green Bay Packers are playing the 49ers, Jordan Love is pretending to be the 49ers quarterback. He is given a playbook from the 49ers offense, and they are told to run those plays. He is learning other teams' plays. So the, the two reasons I bring that up. Again, the Blake Bortles situation, that doesn't really make sense if he's QB3, which is why I've been saying he's not QB3. He's QB2. I don't know exactly what that means. But it doesn't make sense that we're going to bring in Blake Bortles to run scout team. What benefit is that? It doesn't, you don't need him to do that. Beyond that, though, we had a bunch of people who were very, very upset, but also very nervous and pessimistic about Jordan Love because he never overtook um, that number two job. The point is, he was never going to overtake that job. He was never given an opportunity to overtake that job. There, there was some practices and some things, but the odds that Jordan Love was going to show enough while throwing at a couple nets on the run from a guy that has bathed in this this offensive system now for two years and has played back up to Aaron Rodgers for several years and has played with these wide receivers for, for numerous years, there's just no way. And, and again, once you make that decision of who QB2 and QB3 are, QB3 is kind of locked in. He's not really being given the opportunity to win the job. They're not going out and practice and having competitions. Practice is about getting Aaron Rodgers ready. That's it. The starters need to be ready to play the opponent, and Jordan Love's only job, anything he learns about the Green Bay Packers offense, he does on his own time. When we get together and we're out on the field and we're throwing footballs around, your job is to pretend to be the other guy and to get my defense ready. That's what Jordan Love's job was. There's no competition anymore. So again, he's not going to take that job away. That doesn't mean he's great. That doesn't mean he was bad. It just means that we had no 
ability to see Jordan Love or prepare Jordan Love to be the QB2. There was no need to rush him into that role because we have Aaron Rodgers. And so, again, once he got locked into QB3, he was QB3. Now, would it have made sense to kind of make him QB2 to give him a little bit more as far as reps uh, for not being scout team? I, I don't know. But that was the decision that was made. And again, once that decision was made, what's he supposed to do to win the job? Anyways, that was the first note. Um, getting into the first actual clip here, if I can even find it, because I took very general timestamps. But it was talk about footwork. Now, I've even brought this up, and this may even be partly my fault, because I keep talking about footwork, and it's just kind of a little, a little comment that I throw out there, because it's one of the very few things we knew, was that they were kind of tearing things down and teaching him footwork. And so that's also another thing that gets thrown at him. This guy, you know, he's, he's so far from taking that job, he doesn't even know how, how, foot, how to do footwork, or wh- however you want to phrase that. That's not necessarily true. Every quarterback has to go through footwork drills, and the Green Bay Packers have a specific way of doing things. This foot forward, this foot back, and, and just exactly what your drop is and how all that works with all the reads. And everything. There's just a way that, that uh, Matt LaFleur says, this is how my quarterback is operating. He has to learn that. Everybody does. Aaron Rodgers had to learn that. Now, is Jordan Love any good at that kind of stuff? Is it a concern that um, his footwork is crap? Well, Let's listen to his QB coach about this, uh, again, if I can find it. And actually, it was a, it was a two-part question, so we're not going to get to the question. But the second part of the question was, what are some of his strengths? So here you go. Um, and then to the second question, you know, some of, uh, some of his strengths, you know, are, you know, um, he has really, really good footwork, um, really good footwork. So, I mean, I always have this blueprint of how um, quarterbacks should move in a pocket, and, and I create drills. I try to create a drill for every possible movement that a quarterback can make. You know, I watch a ton of film and I watch different quarterbacks from Brady and Breeze and, and Rodgers and Joe Montana and Troy Aikman. And I just create a bunch of different drills um, to try to simulate different pressures that Jordan's going to face um, in Green Bay or in the game. And we work them, we drill them, drill them, drill them and have them become muscle memory. Um, so that's the one thing. Uh, that Jordan does great. He has great feet and he has great balance. And the one thing I always talk to him about, and he's really, you know, taking it to, to the next level is just jumping rope. Um, I equate jumping uh, or, or yeah, jumping rope is great for, for quarterbacks. And I equate uh, quarterbacks to boxers. Um, they both have to be, you know, bouncing in the pocket and at any given moment, be able to set their feet, balance up and throw rather throw a ball as a quarterback or throw a right hand as a boxer, you know, but you have to, that comes from balance through the ankles to be able to, you know, hit a target, throwing a ball or hit a target, punching at somebody. So, I mean, he's really taking that to the next level. And, um, and then his, his, his arm strength and his touch, he's able to, you know, be able to drive a a 20 yard ball, whether it's a comeback or the sideline or a deep, uh, a deep over, or be able to, you know, feather a ball over a flat defender and drop it in front of the safety. So, I mean, he really can make all those throws and it really comes through his footwork and the balance, you know, which allows him to be accurate down the field or even making those throws. So I could have cut that a little bit shorter, but I, you know, why not just let's get all the way through it and listen to all the strengths and whatnot. But, you know, I, I found that interesting. Because I think even I kind of talked myself into it because we'd heard about, you know, he's doing footwork. Like, oh, come on, dude, you're doing footwork. Like, you're, try- you're supposed to win this job and you're, do- you know, learning the basics of how to put foot to put in front of the other. But, you know, according to his quarterback coach, if you were to highlight one thing that he is unbelievably good at, it's footwork. And that shouldn't be surprising if you watched him in college, to be completely honest. I mean, he, he drew 
Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes comparisons, which granted those are always a little bit silly, but it was for the reason that he has great footwork, great ability to, to you know, move in the pocket, break the pocket, throw on the run. And just like he said, that all comes from footwork, uh, fundamentally. What to do with your feet, your ankles, your, your knees, your hips, it all works in, in unison. And he's very, very good at that. So if you had concerns that, you know, he can't even get the fundamentals down, that isn't an issue. He is a premium player when it comes to footwork. Anyways, the second thing that, or third thing, I guess, that uh, came up that really excited me about Jordan Love, especially given what we're going through with Aaron Rodgers. And listen, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. This isn't meant to be a jab at Rodgers. He has strengths, but he also has weaknesses. And I think his, um, you know, let's just call it what it is, his leadership isn't exactly what you'd hope it would be. He doesn't seem to be the most approachable guy that's just super bubbly and super rah-rah. It's kind of, you know, you got to work your way up to earning my approval. And once you're in the inner circle, the office style, then you're golden, you're gravy. But if you're not, then you're not. And um, Jordan just sounds like he's just a different kind of guy. And, and, you know, everything has its strengths and its weaknesses. But there was a lot of talk about his character and what a great human being he is. He lost his father when he was very young been through a lot of adversity, uh, but he just seems like a very, very good person. But this was sort of the the part that he brought up that was just really good to hear. Similar question for you, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, could you give us some insight into Jordan's personality off the field? Um, kind of, you know, what is he like as, as a person and how does that change when the helmet shoulder pads come on? You know what? Um, Jordan is a is a fun loving, happy going guy. I mean, loves to joke around, um, and I don't. Um, it doesn't change when he's on the on the field. Um, he's a he's a connector. Um, that's why I like to call people who have just that that uh, that skill to communicate to 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 his receivers or to his offensive linemen. Really, you know, if they're having a bad day or they miss a block or drop a ball, he's he's able to you know, pick those guys up and, and really just be that bright light. Like, okay, if our leader is not hanging his head down in the dump, it must not be that bad. If he's going, Hey, come on, let's go. It's all right. Let's go. Um, that's the way Jordan is, you know, on and off the field, even when, you know, we're out working out with, you know, having, you know, Keenan Allen and, and, and from the charges and Mike Williams from the charges out there catching ball. I mean, it's, it's great. Or him, you know, doing one-on-ones, you know, against my son, you know, my son is, like I said, he's a defensive back. And, you know, they're laughing and joking and, okay, hey, I'm about to throw a bomb on you. My son's name is Nick. I'm about to throw a bomb on you, Nick. Hey, stay in your backpedal. You know, that 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 banter going back and forth. Um, but he's he's laughing and has a smile on his face, but he is absolutely trying to embarrass you. And uh, I think that's that's the Jordan love that uh, people are going to have an opportunity to see in OTAs and and uh, in preseason. So, but of so personally, I like that, and, and I think it's it's reasonable. Room, you know, we like when our guys situation. all get along, and I don't know if that's just a Packers thing or if it's just everybody kind of wants that. But you know, we like when when our guys have camaraderie and when they get along. And um, you know, it would be nice to see, and I've referenced it before sort of Russell Wilson approach to things, which is to, you know, cheer on his guys when things are going well and pick them up when they're going bad. You know, when, when his guy messes up, Russell goes over, smacks him on the back of the head and, you know, picks him back up. Rogers looks over at him, shakes his head like, you idiot, don't talk to me ever again. I mean, to each his own, I prefer one to the other. And, and personally, if I had to pick, I'm going with a Jordan Love, Russell Wilson style of quarterbacking. And I'm, I'm just saying it's, 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 
it would be kind of refreshing to see that. And listen, we've had issues. I remember back in the Mike McCarthy days where we'd always talk about, especially I would, I would mention on the podcast, they'd score touchdowns and walk back to the sideline and hardly even celebrate. I mean, things got so cold. And um, I do think working together and having that unity and camaraderie and everything is a big thing. And, you know, the Packers emphasize it. They want a certain character and a certain, you know, guys that want to be here and, and are really appreciative and all that kind of stuff. They're building that for a reason. And I think it's because they see the negativity of not having that and how that can negatively impact a team. Anyways, immediately after that, and I had heard this story, but I forgot it. And it, it's kind of cool because I think if I say that the one objection would be there's there's other kinds of leadership, and another kind of leadership is strength. And Aaron Rodgers has strength, and maybe Jordan Love doesn't. And I think this is where this story, which comes immediately after that was said, uh, kind of illustrates also that that strength and, the, and that other form of leadership, which, which isn't just nicey-nice type stuff. So anyways, continuing on. A.J. Dillon was saying that same thing, that he just kind of has a presence about him that... I mean, this was like pre-draft they were working out, and he said there was one day everybody was just kind of screwing around, and Jordan just walked in, and, like, he he didn't even remember what he said, but it was like as soon as he started talking, everybody just shut the hell up and paid attention, and it's just that – that's, I guess, that it factor. There's something to quarterbacks, and and some guys have it, some guys don't, but – And that was Tyler Dunn talking there, but, um, again, that that is kind of cool because you don't know how the team is going to respond to him. You know, because you can have rah-rah guys where people kind of roll their eyes. You know, you can have E to W type guys where people are listening and they're like, what is wrong with this guy? Or we've heard other examples of guys who kind of come in and try to assert their dominance or be all buddy-buddy or be a leader. And it's just, it's like you haven't really earned that. So to hear A.J. Dillon, granted, he's not a veteran. They came in both as rookies. But to hear A.J. Dillon come in and talk about how Jordan Love walks into a room, commands the room, and talks, and everybody shuts up and listens, that says a lot. And then on top of that, to have that presence and that that sort of control of your environment and that leadership ability, but to then sort of relinquish that power in a way that, that picks people up, I, I just, I, I like that. Anyways, I only had two other things. Um... And the video just seems to, I don't know, it keeps popping up with an error and it keeps loading all this stuff. But uh, the uh, the last two things I guess we'll kind of cut out. I don't, I don't, I had a note, Jordan on Rodgers. I don't exactly remember what that was. I think it was that he was very helpful. I don't, I don't know. Don't remember. But uh, the last comment then was that the quarterback coach is confident, not that it matters, but he also add him to the list of people that is confident that Aaron Rodgers will be coming back this year. So for whatever that's worth, there you go. But I am going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic, uh, what, Wednesday? I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.